All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night as I'm recording this late after uh, Father's Day. I got, I got to spend the, the weekend with my dad. Uh, that was pretty fun. We went to go see A Quiet Place Part 2, uh, watch some, some sports, some golf together. We're going to have a lot of fun. I made dinner uh, for the family uh, over this weekend, a nice uh, creamy tomato Asiago uh, pasta dish. That was a lot of fun. Uh, still enjoying basketball, still enjoying the playoffs, uh, but it's been interesting sort of transitioning into the offseason content. Interesting sort of watching things unfold, being able to share takes on them, uh, being able to uh, to definitely not say anything on Twitter about Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers losing at home in Game 7 to the Atlanta Hawks. Definitely didn't say anything about that, folks. Uh, never said anything about that on Twitter, and you shouldn't go see my timeline for the slander that I may or may not have said. Anyway, the Nuggets are in offseason mode. Uh, they are stepping away. We have plenty of time between now and the draft. Uh, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about prospects, talk about all of the major decisions that are going to face the Nuggets over the course of these next couple weeks, and then into the offseason, deeper into the offseason. But I wanted to focus my time, at least these first couple of weeks, um, on player evaluations, coach evaluations, things of that nature. I want to be able to talk about each individual Nugget, what they contributed to the team this year, uh, sort of what happened, some of the surprises, disappointments. Uh, and then talk about what's next for each of them. I've decided to break this into position groups. So if you're seeing this episode, then you're going to see that it's about the guards and it's part one. Uh, Denver had eight guards on their roster to end the year. Uh, you had Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, Marcus Howard, Will Barton, Faku Campazo, Austin Rivers, and Shaq Harrison. All eight of those players finished on the, the roster this year, and so I wanted to be able to talk about all of them, but I'm splitting it into two groups. Part one is going to be today. Part two will be on Wednesday. I'm going to do the forwards on Friday, and then going to do the centers, the bigs, on next week. And we will ultimately get through that. Basically, my plans for this offseason, I'm going to try to do about three podcasts a week. That's where I'm going to be. Uh, I think getting into a good rhythm will help a lot of people understand, hey, this is probably going to come out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That is my goal. Uh, if I miss an episode, if I skip a day, if I uh, do one on a different day, then I apologize. Something probably came up. Uh, but for now, I think you can expect episodes from me Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we'll go forward from there. Let's talk about the guards. And specifically, let's talk about Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, and Marcus Howard. We're going to talk about those guys today. Let's start with Murray, who I think it is important to note, as everybody knows, that his season ended prematurely. That it was an awful thing. That Nuggets fans everywhere shed tears that it was just a, a devastating thing for the entire franchise, for the entire city, but obviously Murray himself. I'm sure he's eating up about what's going on right now, seeing that the, the last four teams in the postseason picture are the Phoenix Suns, who the Nuggets just lost to, the LA Clippers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Atlanta Hawks. If you put Denver in place of Phoenix, and I think that Denver would have beat Phoenix had they been fully healthy. If you put Denver in place of Phoenix, they would have to beat a, a LA Clippers team that's been very good, that just beat the Jazz. But the Jazz don't have Nikola Jokic. Denver could have done that, given that the, the Clippers don't have Kawhi Leonard. 
And I'm sure that Murray is kind of eating himself up about that, but we don't want to get, we, it's no crying over spilled milk at this point. This is what happened this season. And it's everything sort of happens for a reason. Uh, some of it's nonsensical, but I think that the worst thing to do would be to dwell. So we're going to talk about what happened with Murray specifically here. Uh, let's talk, uh, let's start about the season. Just what happened in general. He started pretty slow. And, and I've mentioned this before, sort of heard about it off record, that the collision that he had with Jay Sean Tate at the beginning of the season, the third game of the year, it really hurt his elbow. And, and he was flexing that thing nonstop for much of the year. Until there came a point where it was about three weeks after that he just said, hey, I haven't been playing well. I haven't been doing this great. Uh, he had taken a couple days off, came back, played a game against the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, where he just played poorly. Let me just look at his numbers here real quick. Uh, came back, faced the Milwaukee Bucks. This was game 23 of the season. 11 points, 4 of 17 from the field. Just wasn't good. Through that point... He had basically played most of the games, but through that point, he was averaging 18.6 points, 4.4 assists, 3.9 rebounds, 44% from the field, 34% from three, 80% from the line. So he was basically putting up a season that he had put up every time previously, every single time. After he said that, the next game was against the Cleveland Cavaliers. He didn't have to put up a bunch of points in that game. The Denver, they they blew out the Cavs by 38 points. I was there. Murray didn't really have to do anything. But I'm still going to count that in the sample size. He had eight points, four assists. I'm going to count that. From that point until he first started dealing with knee soreness at game 49. In those 26 games, he averaged 23.5 points, 5.2 assists, 4.2 rebounds, shot 50.9% from the field, 45.9% from three, 91.4% from the line. Just night and day in terms of his performance, his consistency, and his willingness and ability to do things it was just a, a drastically different version of Murray. And I remember the way that he finished up until the All-Star break. Here are his point totals after that Cleveland game that I mentioned. Didn't have to do a lot in that game. Here are his next, uh, we'll call them 12 games. 22 points, 25 points, 25 points, 35 points, 50 points. 30 points, 24, 34, 26, 24, 24, 23. That is 12 straight games of at least 20. And really it was 22 plus. He was incredible. And his ability to reach that level consistently and be that guy for Denver was extremely important. Had that 50-point game in there against Cleveland when he went on the road and shot 21 of 25 from the field. Had various games sprinkled in there, including a game against Chicago where he helped win that game with a game-tying buzzer beater in the at the end of the fourth quarter. His two-man game with Nikola Jokic helped seal the deal. And then his play when Aaron Gordon came around. He was playing really well during that stretch, too. Only got four games, plus the kind of cursed Golden State game. But in those four games, he averaged 23 points, three and a half assists, basically shot 50-40-90, and was averaging a plus 15 in the plus-minus department during that time. He was on his way to having a great season. 
and he did have a great season. It just got cut short. Awful ACL injury that really wrapped things up, not just for his season, but for Denver's. It really became clear watching these playoffs that you need a dynamic guard, somebody who can handle the ball to help space the floor vertically, to help create some different lanes and passing angles and uh, scoring angles and things of that nature. Something that Denver didn't have this year when he went down. It was really tough to watch. It was very connected to Murray. But I think that he's going to come back better than ever. I do believe that. Biggest surprise for him this year, commitment to three-point shooting volume and that improved accuracy that I talked about. He shot 40.8% from the field this year, nearly 41. And he upped his three-point attempts to 6.6 per game. It was at a max of 5.5 per game in the previous four seasons. His willingness and his ability to hit those threes really changed the dynamics on the court. Teams had to guard him out to 27, 28 feet. And when you have to do that, and you also have to basically cover Nikola Jokic with at least one and a half players, then the rest of your defense is just completely compromised. And that gave Denver so many angles for Barton, Gordon, Porter, all of those guys. They really were impacted by having him out there like that, by being a great three-point shooter. Biggest disappointment, obviously the ACL injury. Like, there's no question that is going to be the easiest thing that I plug into uh, an answer for this particular thing that I'm doing. He's going to be out for a lot of the 21-22 season as well this next year. It's going to take him a while to get all the way back. Um, His grade for this season gets an incomplete. Uh, Don't worry, for these other three guys that I'm doing, uh, three three players that I'm grading, it's it's not going to be incomplete grades. Like This is just a special case with Murray. Um, He's going to be rehabbing, recovering, but I still think that he's on the path to stardom, on the path to superstardom, already showed up in the bubble, already was coming back and doing all those things. He knows what it takes to be a star in the NBA. He's tasted it. He understands how hard he has to work. And if anybody's going to work that hard to get back there, it's going to be Murray. He was already shooting a month after having ACL surgery. Like I said, watching these playoffs... It's clear that it's going to be a guards league, despite the fact that Jokic has been incredible, that he was the MVP this year. You can really see it in all these teams, that having dynamic guards that can go off the dribble, that can punish switches, that can step back from three, those are the most important pieces in the NBA right now. The Nuggets need Murray badly to be that dynamic team again. And they think they think they can do that. Tim Connolly said in his presser that he thought that Denver wasn't going to like they weren't going to take Murray's ACL injury into account with their additions this year. Because they know that when they come back, when he comes back, they're going to have a guy that they believe can be a star and has been a star before. Might take him a little bit to get back on track. But they believe in him. And so do I. I think that's very clear at this point. All right. Next player. It's going to be shorter. Marcus Howard. Uh, Marcus Howard didn't really play this year. He only had garbage time until late in the season. I thought this stat was pretty interesting. 205 total regular season minutes. And 100 of them came in the final five games of the season. Denver was injured. Denver was uh, definitely ailing at that point. They also sat some guys for rest. But Marcus Howard in those last few games, he showed that shot making and that floor spacing ability. He showed an ability to execute the offense, 
to do the things that he needed to do in order to get his own shot, in order to have others create the shot for him. And he capitalized on those opportunities, enough so that Michael Malone played him in nine of Denver's 10 playoff games. He didn't play a ton of minutes in all of them, but he had multiple games with at least 10 minutes in a playoff game. Like, if you had thought that Marcus Howard, of all people, as Denver signed him to a two-way contract come into his rookie year, I had zero belief that Marcus Howard would play an impact. And yet, in game five of the playoffs against the Blazers, Marcus Howard's hitting three threes and helping Denver get across the finish line. It were those three, it was those threes that gave Denver the jolt that it needed early in that game in order to withstand the absolute onslaught that Damian Lillard was having in that game. 55 points, 10 assists. Denver needed all that they could get to withstand that. And Marcus Howard contributed. He outplayed the player across from him, Anthony Simons. And he really outplayed him for most of the series, too. Obviously, he wasn't ready to go fully. There wasn't a lot beyond the shot making that really stood out in terms of Marcus Howard's full skill set. But he still was able to get on the floor and provide an impact in the playoffs. And it says a lot about him. It says a lot about Denver's culture. You love to see things like that. Biggest surprise for Marcus Howard was that he played at all. Like I said, Denver's injury situation was dire. They had no idea how they were going to do this. Austin Rivers averaged, I think, like, what, 34 minutes per game in these playoffs, something around there. They brought him in a month prior to the playoffs. It was incredible. Also, biggest surprise for Marcus Howard, that he looked like he belonged. Coming out of Marquette, there was no question that Howard could score. No questions about that. The question was whether he was going to be picked apart in other situations. And to be clear, it looked like he was a a weak link on the defensive end. But not so much that it was impossible to play him. Like, there were certain situations that you didn't want him out there. But often, if there was a guy that he could guard instead of the star guards that wasn't going to post him up, then he was fine. Anthony Simons, Cameron Payne, uh, guys like that, he would have been okay. At least to provide a a nice burst. And that's really what you're expecting from a, a bench guard in the playoff series. You're not expecting big contributions. If you are, then your your team probably isn't strong enough. And Denver's wasn't clearly like like after Murray went down and Barton was down and Dozier was down. Like clearly, Denver's backcourt wasn't strong enough that they had to turn to Marcus Howard. But him stepping up that was big. Biggest disappointment though, he didn't really show anything besides those long jumpers. I was pretty unenthused with the rest of his game, uh, and I, I continue to maintain. That for him to stick in the league, he's going to need to do some other things. He's going to need to be a good facilitator. He's going to need to be uh, at, at least one of these things, whether it's a good facilitator, whether it's a, a pesky defender, somebody who can hop in those passing lanes and just be a, a, a mighty mouse on that end. Uh, whether he can set up guys for pick and roll and, and continue to run that. It's going to be interesting. I sort of doubt that he's going to get there, but it would be very dumb to doubt him at this point, like seriously doubt him, because he showed something. Grade I'm giving him this year, probably a B, almost an incomplete because he didn't play a ton, but he did show some things to finish the season, and he did get to finish the season, and that was cool. What's next for him? He's going to work on the rest of his game. He's a restricted free agent for now. Denver can choose to bring him back. If they do end up bringing him back, 
I don't know if he's penciled into play, even if Murray is gone or not gone, but like out for a while. But there will be opportunities that if he were to come back, I doubt that Denver is going to be able to afford all of the guards that they have. We'll see which they choose to bring back and whether that allows for Marcus Howard to play on occasion. It's a good question. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, going to talk about the two other players, uh, Monte Morris and PJ Dozier. And we're going to see where their seasons stand, where they're going to continue to go from here. But first, this podcast, as you know, it is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. I love DraftKings. Been using it religiously over the course of these last few weeks. It's always fun to do the in-game sports betting, uh, to use some of their player props. And they're doing a great deal, all for, all for new users, that they are going to put you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. There are only four of them now. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. This is for new users. Don't forget, though. DraftKings, they also offer great odds on baseball, hockey, so much more. They're safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. There are no questions about that. I've been able to do that myself. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice, and if they win their next game, then you do too. You'll claim $100 in free site credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, back here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, would really appreciate uh, ratings, reviews on Apple Podcasts if you're new to the show. Uh, it would be so great if you could share it out with the rest of the people. Uh, trying to keep this podcast uh, up and running for the entire offseason. So if you've got Nuggets fans that you know and they haven't been introduced to this pod, then um, I definitely invite you to do so. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff throughout the free agency draft an off-season period. Should be fun. Still going with breakdowns here, still going with player grades, evaluations, whatever you want to call it. Doing guards, part one. Uh, Already did Jamal Murray, Marcus Howard. Now let's move on to Monte Morris. Monte was the same steady Monte. I think at this point, there are very few players in the NBA that are more consistent than Monte Morris. He was asked to do a lot of different things throughout the year. He was asked to be more aggressive at times. He was asked to do a little bit more defensively at times. But in the end, he basically averaged 10 points, three assists, three rebounds. Was a steady point guard off the bench other than his spot starts. Was the same steady Monte, though he did start 13 games and was pretty successful during that time. It always sort of stands out that like he, he did have some injury issues throughout the year, and so he probably would have started more games had it not been for that. But we've had multiple segments over the course of these last two seasons where Monte, at least in the regular season, has started next to Nikola Jokic, started sometimes next to Jamal Murray, but most of the time it's without him. And he's usually been pretty good. Usually he's been pretty successful. Maybe that's just playing with Jokic. Maybe that's just playing in that system. But I like what I've seen from Monte most of the time when he's in the starting role. Uh, It sort of changes how Denver can play sometimes. Changes what they do. They're a little bit better offensively, but they can definitely struggle defensively when he's out there because he's a smaller guy. And usually if it moves Jamal Murray to the two, that means that Denver's defense sort of struggles. But... 
when he replaced Murray after injury, he did basically all that you could ask for him. Whether it was in the regular season, whether it was in the playoffs, he stepped up. He did his job. Consistently brought the facilitation, low mistake basketball, while also providing the the off the dribble game that Nuggets fans have come to love. I think there's nothing more satisfying. And maybe maybe that's not true, but when you see Monte Morris sort of rock the baby when he's in his dribble, he's got a big that's isolated, whether it's on the pick and roll, whether it's in an isolation, sort of rocks the baby, gets to his spot on the right elbow, left elbow, pulls up, just cash money every single time. One of the most efficient players from that spot. And that's great. Monte really helped out this year, and I hope that he helps out for more. Biggest surprise with him this year, 50 points and 14 assists combined in games 5 and 6 versus Portland. Clearly, very clearly, outplayed CJ McCollum in those final two games. Damian Lillard needed help, and Monte wasn't going to outplay Dame. Like, that was Jokic's issue. Jokic had to had to match Dame, or or at least get close to him in the in those two particular games. Jokic definitely outplayed him in the in the game six. But Monte just had to provide some value, and he provided way more than that. In those final two games of that series, he was Denver's biggest surprise because he did some things off the dribble just kind of creating offense for himself and others that it looked like Jamal Murray out there. He was pulling up when the defense was going under screens, getting all the way to the rim when he's playing two-man game with Jokic, doing stuff in isolation. It was awesome. It was in a playoff setting. And the fact that Morris is doing that, I think should give Nuggets fans a lot of confidence that even if Murray has to take his time in order to get back, The Nuggets have a pretty good replacement in tow. Biggest disappointment for him, though? Injury issues. Clearly injury issues. This was the first time in his career that he missed a significant period. But he missed 25 games. And he had two separate injuries, I believe, that really held him out during that time. It was tough to see. Uh, P.J. Dozier, who we're going to talk about next, also had two separate injuries. Uh, So that's something that the Nuggets were hoping wouldn't follow them after they traded Gary Harris away. Gary Harris was always, like, racked up with injuries for his entire career, his entire Nuggets tenure. Monte had more or less been injury-free for a long time. For him to miss 25 games this year, it's a little bit, not, not alarming. But it's like a yellow, it's a yellow flag. Something that I would watch out for going forward. Like He's always been very steady, always brought it every single game, never asked for a day off. I hope that's not catching up to him, because he has a smaller frame. His grade for the season, he gets a B. And why it's not an A, why it's not anything like that, is because this is the Monte that we've proven. Like, it's, it's been proven who he is. He had a couple extra flashbulb moments this year, but for the most part, he was same old Monte. Um, and he, he didn't kind of move too far beyond those general expectations. So that's why it's not an A. If he did it more consistently, the, the explosion that he had game five, game six against the Blazers, if he did that more consistently, then I think you can definitely make an argument that he should have an A grade. But we'll see what happens. I think he's honestly been this guy for a long time. And that player's pretty good, which is why he gets a B. What's next for him? He starts his three-year extension with the Nuggets next season. 21-22 season. 22-23 season. 23-24 season. Denver's lucky that they have him because he's going to be the day one starter next year, in all likelihood, with Murray out. 
it's going to be interesting to see whether he sticks in the rotate or not rotation in the starting unit when Murray does return. I think a lot of that sort of changes based off of what Denver does at guard for the rest of the season or for this offseason. They can go a lot of different ways, which is why I'm doing these podcasts. All these guys give different uh, they give different strength, strengths and weaknesses to the roster. So Denver's going to have to find a way to really make it work. Could Morris be that guy to find a permanent rhythm in the starting unit? Be a 30-minute-per-game player. Somebody the Nuggets consistently rely upon to get the job done. I think it's very possible. And if it is, and if that sticks for the next couple seasons, then that's awesome. Because Morris has proven to be worth the extension already. If he played even more than what the extension was for, that'd be even better. Let's move on to PJ Dozier. Uh, He had a very interesting season that was also marred by injury, but even more so because he never got to play in the playoffs. And I was pretty disappointed about that. I was getting excited to have PJ Dozier back because he became the Swiss army knife for Michael Malone this year. If you remember at the beginning of the year, when Jamichael Green was out, and then when Michael Porter was out, there were times where P.J. Dozier was playing mostly backup three, but sometimes he even slid over to the four in four-guard lineups around either a small ball center, Isaiah Hartenstein, or Nikola Jokic. Sometimes P.J. Dozier played the two, which is probably his most natural position in the NBA. Sometimes he played the one, which he grew up playing. He was always a point guard, somebody who handled the basketball. What he really proved throughout the year, though, among all else, was that he's an elite team defender, or at least has the potential to develop into that. I thought that he was the best defender on the team this year. Based off of the film that he consistently put out, the numbers that were consistently behind him, his ability to switch onto different players, he had so many great moments this year as a defender, whether it was playing the passing lanes, helping and rotating. I think I I look back to one of the games this year that I really look back on fondly was Denver's second game, or actually third game against the Clippers. They didn't have Jamal Murray that game. They didn't have, I think, uh, Monte Morris for that game. I think they started Faku Campazo, Will Barton. Oh, no, they didn't have Will Barton. I think they started Faku and PJ, if I'm not mistaken. Had those guys join uh, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. And Denver won that game in part because PJ Dozier helped hold Paul George to like 7 of 25 from the field. Something absurd like that. Took a lot of shots. Very inefficient. And PJ just kind of held him away from the rim. Paul George didn't make his shots that day and he wasn't able to get to the rim because PJ was playing some great defense. I think what we've seen from Paul George lately here in these playoffs, he was very capable of doing some incredible things. So the fact that PJ could really hold him down, that says a lot to me. Biggest surprise from him, the versatility and the success wearing different hats this year. He was the guy who Michael Malone consistently used to help put out a fire with that second unit. I think Nikola Jokic was the guy that, uh, that Michael Malone would consistently go to, of course. But PJ was a guy who he sometimes played the point, sometimes played the two, sometimes played the three, sometimes played the four. And he did everything that you wanted him to do, did everything that he was asked to do, did it all with a smile on his face that he just wanted to get out on the court. And that's the kind of attitude that you need. Those are the kind of role players that you need around your stars, guys that are willing to do to do the dirty work that are skilled enough to do some other things, 
And I think that that really defines PJ. He's a guy that's going to be able to do some of those kind of dirty things, the rotating on defense, guarding the opposing team's best guy, uh, being able to hit the off-ball, sh- the off-ball shot, uh, rotate as a cutter, run the fast break, things like that. He's going to do all of that. And I thought he did it really well at various points throughout the year. It wasn't perfect. And I think uh, one of the biggest disappointments that I had, beyond the two separate injuries, they were really bad. The first one to his hamstring, that really sapped the shooting away. At one point, he was a 40% three-point shooter in the beginning and early stages of the year. We're shooting really well, doing it consistently. Not the cleanest looks either. Like, he was taking some pretty tough shots. But the shooting really dropped off after his first injury. And he had, in the three separate months, February, March, April, that he played, uh, all of those true shooting percentages for those months were in the 40s, which is really inefficient. And it's tough because some of that is because he was asked to do more than what he needed to. Not not needed to, but maybe it wasn't February. Maybe it was uh, March, April, May. Um, but like late in the season when injuries really were hitting Denver, PJ was playing well defensively, but the shooting really fell off. So that's one of the things that I think everybody's looking for, everybody's waiting for going forward. Is he the shooter? That he was. And can he continue to develop that? Can he continue to develop the off the dribble game? That makes him really exciting for Denver. His ball handling, his slashing. Can he continue to develop those aspects? Because the shooting really fell off. And we don't know if it's really yet or not. Great, I'm giving him his B-. minus. Uh, it's hard to penalize somebody for the injuries. But if it took you out of the playoffs, then that's tough. You got to be back. You got to be ready. And I know the soft tissue injuries are really tough. I'm glad that they didn't force it on him, but it was still, it was tough for Denver. Um, I think he still showed that he can be a piece of the future, though. Like, you already know that most of these guys are. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon. I think you can look at Monte Morris and Zeke Naji as guys for the future, but I think you can also look at P.J. Dozier that way. What's next for him? Still about developing the all-around game. Here's another stat on P.J. that I think will shock people. P.J. just finished his fourth year in the NBA, but this was his 87th regular season game, was his last one. And then he tw- he played 12 playoff games in his career last year. He hasn't played 100 total NBA games yet. He's still improving. He's still finding a rhythm. He found a semblance of rhythm with Denver this year. They were the team to give him a chance. They were the team to really hone in on his skill set. And I think that he really decided that he wanted to be a great defender this year. And that really helped him get on the floor. It'll help him stay on the floor next year. And I think it's very possible that next season, you might be turning around and thinking that PJ Dozier is going to be the starting shooting guard heading into the 2020 or the 2021 2022 season. We'll see if that actually happens. Let's take our final break. When we come back, going to do a brief queue and not uh, just basically big questions with this group. We'll be right back. said nuggets numbers good lord uh, that was the old podcast this is pickaxe and roll uh, that's the first time i've ever done that i'm like 
over 75 episodes into this uh, on this new site. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around. If you were here, uh, final segment here, we're going to do big questions with this group. Uh, the first one that I think many people are going to want to know, how soon does Jamal Murray return? How soon does he get back on the floor after tearing an ACL? You don't want to rush him. That's for certain. And so here's here's what the timetable would look like at various points of return. He had his surgery on April 21st, 2021. So that means that nine months after that surgery would be January 21st, 2022. Nine months is sort of the earliest you ever hear somebody come back from an ACL. It's not usually that time when they actually come back, though. I think that would be the very earliest time that you could think, hey, hey maybe it's possible. But I would, I would push that timetable out for sure. Ten months would be February 21st. That's right around the All-Star break when that, that usually happens. Uh, usually in a, in a standard season, it, the All-Star break is about February 12th to February 20th, somewhere around that point. And it's the middle of February. People like to take their time. Uh, they like to use that kind of as the barometer in a regular standard NBA season, that's 82 games long. That would be at about game 45, game 50. Slightly after the midway point. 11 months would be March 21st. At that point, you're coming into around game 70. Maybe game 65, game 70. Around there. You're nearing the end of the season. Got about 75% of it complete. 12 months after would be April 12th, or not April 12th, April 21st, 2022. Zach Levine, when he was hurt, he came back 11 months after surgery. That was what happened with him. Uh, He had his surgery. I think uh, February of 2017, and then came back January 2018, if I'm not mistaken. When he did come back, he wasn't great. So the next question, of course, is when Jamal Murray does come back, what does he look like? How does he play? You can't expect him to be all-star Jamal Murray immediately. You want to give him a little bit of a run-up. So when Zach Levine returned... He wasn't great. He shot 38% from the field and 34% from three on arrival. Wasn't a good defender. Hard to focus on that. So this is something that I think Nuggets fans should really think about. That because Jamal Murray's injury happened so late in the year, that it's really going to impact next season. It will probably impact most of the season. It will most likely impact all of the season at least in some way, shape, or form. Murray will be back at some point during that time. I would be shocked if he wasn't. He's going to approach this rehab in such a vigorous way that he's going to try to meet all the check marks, all the benchmarks, in order to get back on the floor. When he does it is a big question. I think the earliest that I would expect him back is February 21st, 2022, 10 months after the surgery. It would be tough. That would be a, that's probably a target date is out of the all-star break. Gets to work back in with his teammates, gets to play, gets to take it slow. That would be the hope for him. Whether that actually happens, I think it's, it remains to be seen. That's a pretty aggressive timetable. I think people should really consider March or April as the most likely time. Say April 1st, something around there. Next question. Who starts in Denver's backcourt while Murray is out? Is it Will Barton, who has a player option and may or may not be back in a Nuggets uniform? 
or is it two of the guys that we talked about here? Is it Monte Morris and PJ Dozier? I think you can make a really good case that those two will be the starters. There's familiarity there. There's a good contrasting skill set there. You have the steadiness and kind of the, the floor general nature of Monte Morris. You have the strong defense. You have the combo guard nature. You have the uh, kind of high ability, but also low floor of P.J. Dozier. I think that that is a good backcourt. It may not be good enough, and I think that's another question there. Is it enough talent on a night-to-night basis in order to match up with other backcourts in the NBA? If Denver is consistently getting about 20 points per game out of those two as starters, that's probably not good enough. They probably need somebody who's going to give them a little bit more oomph as a scorer. Maybe Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter are good enough there. Maybe that's where it sort of boils down to. Maybe there's somebody that comes off the bench. Maybe it's just Will Barton and Will Barton comes back and is the the starting two guard, in which case he would definitely provide enough. But I think if you're going with Morris and Dozier, you're definitely not dead. Like That's a good amount of ball handling, and it's going to help Porter, Gordon, and Jokic on both the offensive and defensive side. Those guys are smart, especially defensively. They know the system. They've been here. And I think that there's a definite possibility, given the financial concerns, that those two are the starters while Murray works his way back. Next question. Will Marcus Howard be brought back? Is there even a role for him? I think it's very possible. Uh, we're going to talk about Faku Campazo in the next episode, but I assume that he would be back. He's under contract, and uh, he didn't do anything to like dissuade the Nuggets from keeping him around, I don't think. Uh, Faku didn't. And then if you've got PJ and you've got uh, Monte and you've got Jamal, if you've got Will, maybe you bring back Austin Rivers if Will Barton isn't back. I think one of Will Barton or Austin Rivers will come back, and I'll tell you who I think it will be in the next episode. But beyond those guys, and maybe like Shaq Harrison, like does Marcus Howard have a role? Would he be willing to come back if he didn't? Is that something that he would be willing to do, given the relationships he's established here? Maybe all he's looking for at this point is a guaranteed contract. And the Nuggets have to figure out whether they want to give him that. He gives some definite scoring, but I have concerns about what he's going to give beyond that. But maybe that's what Denver needs, given that they have Murray out for a while. Maybe they're going to need to rely on the the kind of flamethrower, out-of-left-field scoring that a guy like Marcus Howard could provide. It's a good question. Final question before we get out of here. Could all four of those guys that we talked about in this series, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, Marcus Howard, could all four of those guys be in Denver's 2021-2022 playoff rotation? I think there's a non-zero chance of that. We'll see what happens with Faku. We'll see what happens with the like Denver's willingness to play small guards. And we'll see what Denver needs going into the playoffs next year. But it wouldn't surprise me if Denver had a need for a bunch of guards, that they decide to go smaller, that they decide to play a little bit more aggressive with the switching of those guards. And they just try to force more teams to beat them one-on-one rather than putting their other guys like Jokic and MPJ in tough situations where they have to do a lot of ground covering. We're going to have to see. We're going to have to see how this works. I am very curious to see what Denver does with this group. Murray, you understand 
Like he's he's a known commodity. Morris, I think, is a known commodity. I'm not sure about Dozier. I'm not sure about Marcus Howard. I have high hopes for Dozier. He's a South Carolina Gamecock, but he's also shown a lot of the things that you want to see from a role player. Marcus Howard also showed what he could. He didn't have a lot of opportunities, and yet he capitalized on them anyway. So I'm very very curious to see what this group has in store coming into next season. I think they're all going to be back, is my guess. And then we'll talk about this next group on the next episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back on Wednesday with part two of my guard player grades. Uh, we'll be doing Will Barton, Faku Campazzo, uh, Austin Rivers, and Shaq Harrison. Should be fun. Very curious to see what you guys have to think of these grades that I'm giving out, what you think of this team, what you think of Denver's guard situation. Let me know in the comments. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars, Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. But for now, I think I will talk to you guys on Wednesday. See ya.